Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 222. Frankie Edgar versus Brian Ortega. We know that's the real main event, Shaq. And it's going down this Saturday on pay-per-view. And uh, the only thing that sucks is that Frankie and T-City don't get a five-round battle. But that being said, T-City's never been past the three-round mark in any of his UFC fights. Exactly. So, we, we you know, everyone says we wanted five rounds. But let's be honest here. Ortega will get this done in less than three. And we already know Frankie's a future Hall of Famer. One of the greatest to ever do it in two different weight classes. Frankie fights with his heart. He's a legend. We know. It's just, um, it just sucks that, you know, he can never beat Jose. But the guy's a legend, future Hall of Famer, no doubt. And uh, I'm interested to see the fight. And, you know, Cyborg and Yana Kuniskaya, it sucks my girl Yana is getting set up like this, man. I mean, she could have been making Sarah, Sarah McMahon quit last weekend. And instead, she has to uh, get sacrificed to Cyborg. They did my girl Yana dirty, man. You know, it's funny. Initially, she's supposed to fight uh, this girl that's 3-1 and one that no one's ever heard of. You know, great first UFC debut. Then they give her Sarah Quitter McMahon. You know, we know what would have happened. It would have been a second-round submission. And now they're like, you know what? How about we feed you to Cyborg because we have absolutely no one in that division. There's not even a top 15 if you go to the UFC rankings. And it's just uh, – it's almost a disgrace, my man. It is, man. They need to uh... – it sucks. You know, one one minute you wake up and you're fighting Leah Letson, then you're fighting Sarah McMahon, and then by the end of the day, you're fighting Cyborg. It's a complete joke. Um, they definitely need girls in that division, but I mean, who wants that Cyborg smoke? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man, and uh, speaking of complete jokes, I know you saw my boy uh, James Harden last night embarrassing dudes on that court. I mean, rest in peace to Wesley Johnson. His ankles will never be the same. His uh, his life will never be the same. If he ha- if he has kids, I feel sorry for his kids as well. Uh, he'll never be able to live that down. And James Harden's the best player in the NBA right now. And um, man, that was that was just embarrassing. But it is it, it is what it is. It's the uh, it's the sports game. You know what I'm saying? Man, I mean that's one of the greatest highlight reels since the butt fumble. You know what I mean? <laughs> And uh, down there in uh, Volusia County, Florida, you know, there was reports that uh, a 26-year-old teacher, Stephanie Peterson, had sex with a 14-year-old eighth grader down there in Florida. And, uh, I mean, this kid's got to be pretty fucking stupid, Dan. I mean, let's be honest here, Dan. That's every uh, young little kid's dream, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Fuck one of his teachers. and. When you actually hear the details of it, um, allegedly she would pick the kid up from his house at 11 p.m. at night and bring him weed and a bowl to smoke out of on top of, you know, having sex with him. So that kid will regret that every day for the rest of his life. His friend should be absolutely ashamed to be his friend. And I, I honestly think this is a parenting issue. As a father, how would you how would you let your kid blow an opportunity like that, Dan? Well, you know what happened. He uh, probably told mommy. Exactly. Well, allegedly his grades were slipping and uh, his grades were falling and he told his mom. And uh, of course, you know, the moms don't know how to handle that, but that kid will regret that every day for the rest of his life. So, you know, I want to ask everyone that listens to Ask the Battle, if your kid had sex, if your son, if your son had sex with his teacher, would you be mad at him or and would you punish him? Because... If that was my kid, man, I'd take him out for ice cream. I'd be honest with you. Yeah, not only that, man, you know, it's, uh, his grades are slipping. Oh, man, big deal. This isn't fucking college, man. This is eighth grade. Who gives he's a shit the, about your grades in eighth, eighth grade? You he's know in the I mean? fucking eighth grade. It doesn't matter. 
<laughs> like, bro, like I got kicked out of school in eighth grade and I still went to college. No one gives a fuck. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, bro, you get the opportunity of a lifetime. Not only do you get to bang your 10 out of 10 smoking hot teacher, but she's also bringing you weed and you're going to fuck that up. I mean, like I said, the kid should be ashamed. If I went to a school, I would literally pick on that kid every day for the rest of his life. I mean, to have an opportunity, especially a teacher looking like that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, kid's stupid, man. And his father should be ashamed of himself. A hundred percent. But you know what? We can go on for a whole hour tangent on that, and maybe one day we'll start a new podcast because, you know, there's more things in life to talk about than MMA, but the fans are tuning in for a specific reason. They want to hear us break down this card from start to finish, and that's exactly what we're going to do because we got Jordan Johnson. He's minus 320. The comeback on Adam Milstead is plus 260. Now, it's kind of interesting, man, because on paper, I understand why Jordan Johnson's favorite. Look, he is the D1 wrestler. Uh, he stood up his entire uh, last fight, so he showed that he's got some stand-up too. Now he's taking on a guy in Adam Milstead who, I don't know if you saw his fight with uh, with my boy uh, Curtis Blades, but Curtis literally picked him up and threw him outside the octagon, and uh, now he's coming back, he's dropping a weight class. You think it's going to make a difference? Man, um, you know, Jordan Johnson, like you said, he's a solid D1 wrestler. Not just a D1 wrestler, D1 All-American from uh, Iowa. And, you know, it's funny, he's actually got brought out to a combat club to help Volkan Ozdemir and Luke Rocco train for their past fights. And, um, you know, his last fight against Marcel Fortuna, he gave everyone a little scare because going into that fight, you would think, Jordan, let's grab a leg and just grind this guy out and, you know, take the easy win. But, you know, he chose the harder way and just and chose to box with him for three. And it got really hairy because, let's be honest here, Fortuna was touching him at times. And, you know, Jordan seems like he's real insistent on you know getting his first knockout inside the octagon and as a betting man we want jordan to be what he's good at you want him to just grab this guy's leg hug his leg take him down and grind him out and you know adam dropping the 205 i actually do think it's a good move because at heavyweight he was only weighing in at like 230 and offensively he definitely hits hard i mean he definitely has a uh, you know power especially dropping the 205 and then let me i'm gonna just go ahead and say it here jordan johnson's falling in love with his boxing things could uh, be very sketchy early because Adam's getting used to getting hit by way bigger guys. And I mean, one mistake, especially when you're in the young, early development stages of your, your career, you know, you've never lost a fight. You're nine and zero. and Jordan Johnson's a very cocky meathead D one wrestler. He makes a mistake and he starts slugging in the pocket with most that he might be asleep. So it's a very sketchy fight for me. I definitely understand why Jordan Johnson's favorite. But at the same time, if Milstead hits him and he is still conscious, I definitely think he will uh, go back straight to D1 wrestler mode and grab this guy's leg and, uh, and, and you know, grind out a decision. So in my opinion, Jordan Johnson, Jordan Johnson would definitely have to fight like a pussy is what they call it, you know, and uh, grab this guy's leg and grind him out. And Milstead, he's got to hope uh, Jordan Johnson wants to uh, – test the stand-up because if he does then it's a 50 55 in my opinion yeah look if jordan johnson decides to test his stand-up i mean i still think he can win the fight because i don't know if you saw adam milstead's not his last fight with curtis blaze but the one before that with de la roca some of the <coughs> stiffest stand-up i've ever seen in my life and one could argue that was an early stoppage that being said when two big men get inside the ufc's octagon they start throwing leather anyone can go down so if this meathead d1 wrestler jordan johnson decides to test his stand-up and starts getting a little cocky don't be surprised if this is the first time he goes down but that being said man i just think he's simply better than adam milstead everywhere man on the feet on the mat but look 
there he can make this way easier he can make it so you don't have a heart attack betting a minus 320 and that's by going out there and using those d1 skills and wrestling this guy down because we know adam milstead can't wrestle i mean like i said man curtis blade <laughs> curtis blade has literally picked him up over his shoulders threw him out of the octagon and you know we and then adam milstead talked some shit about the ufc after that so i was kind of surprised they brought him back but maybe the matchmakers think like look let's just get a jordan johnson nice easy win here so that could be the case but if they stand and slug it'll be 50 50 but i think jordan's got more ways to win as the line indicates and i, I think he's the rightful favorite so i got jordan johnson here i'm not sure if it's going to be a decision or a stoppage but i am picking the favorite to win now, next up in the bantamweight division, we got Cody Stamen. He's minus 165, and the comeback on Brian Caraway is plus 145. Now, uh, shout out to my boy Brian Caraway. You know, last time he fought, he cashed that plus 350 against Aljamain Sterling, who, who, you know, we've been saying for years is a fraud. And, but now he's got to come back and take on the 16 and 1 Cody Stamen. And, you know, Cody Stamen, he's one of these kids that. He's very impressive, man. You know, I'm very impressed with this kid because he does just enough to get the job done. He knows when he needs to turn up. And then if you go look at his strike totals, he always outstrikes his opponents at least two to one in there. So uh, now he's got a, you know, I'd say this is a step up because he's never fought anyone like Caraway before. Sean Shelby made this matchup for a reason. You think uh, Cody's going to get it done or what? It's definitely like a uh, changing of the guard type of matchup. Uh, Cody Stamen, you know, before his last fight going in there with the fire kid, Dukanois, a lot of people said uh, it was canvas nap time for him. They said Dukanois was, you know, the future world champion. And, uh, you know, after that first round, it was a rough first round. He, you know, was getting lead elbowed and got head kicked a few times. And, I mean, a lot. I felt like most of the Bantamweight prospects, you know, around that level, I felt like they would have packed it in. I felt like they would have, they would have, uh, you know, just accepted that, hey, maybe Duke Noir is this guy. But not my boy Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen bit down on his mouthpiece, and he took it to the French guy in the second and third round, and he beat his ass. I mean, third round is exactly what uh, he's capable of. I mean, he beat him in every striking exchange in the third round. And, I mean, to, you know, be in your second UFC fight at that big of a stage against, you know, the opponent that he was facing, headlining the prelims, I mean, it was a it was a – it just let me know that he's the type of guy that rises to the occasion, and like you said, he does enough to win. He's going to find a way to win, no matter how ugly it is. And, you know, that's a sign, because I think he's – I honestly thought that was one of his worst performances. And, I mean, the fact that you can still win on your worst performance, performances just says what type of fighter you are, just like uh, James Vick against Shinada. I thought that was one of his worst performances, and he's still 30-27, in my opinion. So, I mean, that just shows you uh, the high regard I have for Cody Stanton. Um, Brian Caraway is another guy. I have the utmost respect for Caraway. You know, Dan, you already know we, we capitalize on Caraway a lot of times because uh, we know that Caraway likes to pick a specific type of opponent, at least in the past he has. And, um, I mean, he's super underrated. I mean, you know, striking is very ugly, but, I mean, when he's fighting, how I feel Caraway is he's a beneficiary of, you know, he, he picks his opponents. Like I said, he's a, he's a strategist. Look, when he fought Eddie Wyman, Eddie Wineland, what does Eddie Wineland, what does what does the tag that Eddie Wineland has before his name, uh, Dan? Former world champion. Exactly. He's a former world champion. But between you and me, Eddie Wineland ain't shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Didn't he be but like fucking Cole Escovito to win that belt? <laughs> exactly. You know, Antonio Blandoelos, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. But the fact is, Eddie, Eddie Wineland has former champion in front of his name, so it's a perfect scenario for Caraway. That's exactly the fight he wanted because – you know, me and you know Eddie Wyman is a 500 fighter, and, you know, he's on his way out. 
But uh, Eddie Lineman wasn't coming off his first broken jaw before that fight. He was coming off his second broken jaw in a, over an 18-month layoff. And like we said, his fight with Aljamain Sterling, I mean, we've been saying Aljamain Sterling's a fraud like three years ago. I mean, we knew that Caraway bet on Caraway plus 350. That line was a complete joke. And I mean, Caraway exposed him. And now we see, you know, the path that Aljamain's on. And I mean, Pops to Caraway, he was the first to expose it. But like I said, I truly believe that he is a beneficiary of picking his opponents. And that's why, you know, he got to be number four in the world and he's still top 10. But don't get me wrong, I think he's a solid fighter. His wrestling, his jujitsu is on point. But as far as I see him and Cody uh, Stamen, Cody Stamen matching up, I just think that, you know, in the past, Caraway was actually a little faster. Now I see him in the Wineland and Sterling fights, I actually think he's a little slower. I think he's eating a lot of punches because, you know, he is tough. He has a chin and a half, don't get me wrong. But I just think his style's basic. I think he's going to come in there with the same things he did 10 years ago. The left hook, overhand right, and, you know, trying to get a takedown. Nothing's changed. And after, especially after a two-year layoff, I think it is, I definitely don't see thing, anything else changing. I think he's going to even be slower. I think guys on Cody Stamen's level are going to pass him up now. And I think that's uh, what we're going to see on Saturday. I think Cody Stamen's going to stuff all the shots. I think he's going to land the more impactful shots on the feet. And like you said, he's going to do enough to get the job done. If Caraway wants the dirty box, I think a check knee is going to be waiting for him right up the middle. And uh, I think this is going to be a 30-27 across the board for uh, Cody Stamen. I think he's going to do enough to get the job done. Uh, props to Caraway. I mean, you know, I'm not even going to, you know, go into depth of his personal issues, but I mean, the guy's been through a, a lot lately. And I mean, I still think he's a solid fighter. I just think that from day one, I just always thought Cody Stamen was a, a future top 15 guy, and I think he uh, gets that top 15 spot. Yeah, look, much respect to Caraway. We already mentioned the Aljo plus 350 line. So, And also, I bet him against Wyland, too. That was some nice dog money as well. So I got the utmost respect for Caraway. And, you know, like they say, when it rains, it pours. So I really hope that, you know, he gets all this stuff behind him and gets back on track. But unfortunately, he's going to have a roadblock here with Cody Stamen because, man, this kid Stamen, if there's one thing he's good at, it's winning. And that's something that we say about guys like Jimmy Rivera. That's something we say about guys like James Vick, who they rarely ever lose. They find that way to win no matter what the circumstances. And that's what I like about Cody Stamen because I feel like we haven't even seen this kid's full arsenal yet. You know, it's funny. He's got a Taekwondo background and no one would even know it by watching his first two UFC fights. I heard an interview with him. He said, I can throw every single Taekwondo kick in the book, but I'm not going to unless I need to in a fight because, look, he's a short guy. You know, you throw one of those spinning kicks against a guy like Caraway. Don't be surprised when Caraway jumps on your back and chokes you out. But what I like about Cody Stamen is his selectivity man he knows exactly when he needs to throw things and he knows when he needs to take uh you know rounds off kind of like my boy yoel does yoel is an expert at winning fights and notice how yoel he'll take a round or two off in a fight and then when it's time to turn up he turns up now granted this is a three round fight not a five round fight so there's no time to take rounds off but what i'm trying to say here is that this kid, Cody Stamen, is probably going to win the decision here simply because he's faster on the feet. He's got a good enough wrestling pedigree to keep the fight standing. And look, much respect to Caraway. He's a very opportunistic guy. He's a true veteran of the game. He's been around since the bare-knuckle boxing days. And like you said, I mean, Caraway's, Caraway was fighting bare-knuckle, so that just shows you his uh, experience level. But like you said, I just think the uh, techniques on the feet are going to be too clean for him. I think he is going to be a little rusty. Two-year layoff injury after injury he just had a leg injury or shoulder injury i just think it's a perfect timing for Stamen to get in there and another thing is think about all of caraway's past opponents what do they always spend time 
wasting, you know, before they fight Caraway. Mr. Tate this, Mr. Tate that. And then guess what? They get in the, the uh, cage and they and they uh, they can't live up to all the trash talk. Now, uh, Cody Samen isn't interested in any of that. You know what I'm saying? Cody, Cody Samen's interested in getting the win. He already acknowledged the fact that, you know, Caraway's a tough guy. He's probably not going to get him out of there. But he just wants to win, and that's all that matters. A hundred percent. That's all that matters, especially if it's a DQ, if it's a controversial split. All you give a fuck about when you're betting on a fight and when you're picking a winner is who's going to get their arm raised no matter the circumstance. Now, look, for Caraway to win this fight, I think it has to be an opportunistic guillotine choke. I think he has to hop on his back and choke him out. I don't think that he's going to come out here and win a striking battle. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, he's got an opportunistic left hook. You know, he will throw that overhand right, and it looks really ugly, but he finds a way to land, and that's something I really respect about Caraway. He finds a way to make his style work, and if you're not uh, up for the challenge, if you're not mentally tough, if you're a guy like Aljamain Sterling who's talking all that shit and then wants to shake hands at weigh-ins, then yeah, Brian Caraway exactly. is going to totally punk you out. But with a guy like Cody Stamen, he will punk you Cody, Cody Stamen's <laughs> number one goal is just like Jimmy Rivera's number one goal, and that's to win. Winning Win. is paramount. <laughs> so with that said, I got Cody Stamen for the victory here. Now next up in the welterweight division, we got Zach Otto. He's minus 300, and the comeback on my, Mike Quicksand Pyle is plus 250. Now shout out to my boy Pyle. You know, he had an unbelievable career. His... His MMA debut was against Quentin Rampage Jackson. I mean, the dude, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he choke out John Fitch? He was the first person to ever choke out John Fitch. Exactly. So, you know, Mike Pyle, he's been there. He's done that. So I got nothing but respect for him. But as you know, Shaq, uh, the fight game is very, very unforgiving. And uh, if you come back too many times after you should have called it quits already, it just doesn't end well. You saw what happened to Chuck Liddell, and now, you know, with Mike Pyle, those last two knockouts, especially the one against Alex Garcia, very brutal to watch. We know he's showing up here for that last, you know, 50 to 60K paycheck. That being said, man, the fight's in Vegas. He's from Vegas. You think it's going to go well for him? Man, you know, it's, uh, I kind of, Mike Powell, you know, legend of the game, super crafty, but I kind of put him in the same boat as Ben Saunders and, uh, Josh Berkman, you know, and, you know, Hennon Burrell, for example, you know, these guys that, you know, in their primes, they were bad motherfuckers. They're still crafty. It's just that they simply cannot take the punishment that you have to take to compete in the octagon. It's plain and simple. And, you know, I mean, how many times have we seen Powell, you know, Matt Brown, Jordan Mean, Alberto Mina, um, Alex Garcia, that one was really bad. I mean, I almost thought he was dead in there. And, I mean, I just don't think he should be fighting. Now, when it comes to Zach Otto, Zach Otto's actually, a lot of people don't know, he's a former Division One football player. And uh, a lot of people think that Zach Otto's a jobber, and I completely disagree. I think he's a solid fighter. I mean, you know, they're like, well, what happened when he went to split with uh, Josh Berkman? You're talking about when Josh Berkman was coming off arguably beating Paul Felder? And let's be honest there, Otto won every second of that fight. And I mean, I, I like his switch dance, his switch dance, you know, he's switching stance all the time, his feints. And I think he's got speed, a uh, big speed advantage over Pyle. And I just see uh, him being able to switch stances, confuse Pyle. Um, I, I see a right hook KO from Southpaw stance. And I think on the mat, I think he can hold his, uh, um, hold his, I think, I don't think his fight's going to hit the mat, but I think he could, you know, hold his own with Pyle on the mat. And I think this is a perfect, uh, chance for him to get back to his finishing ways we know that when guys are 40 41 42 granted we don't even have to get the ko because i truly believe that Pyle's not going to be able to keep the pace of auto on the feet with the switching the stance and the point fighting auto's fallback plan is a, a point fighting decision but i think at some point the uh, ko will come 
Yeah, look, I mean, Zach Otto's obviously not known for his KO power, but again, when you're fighting guys like Li Jingliang and Serginho Marais, then, you know, obviously you're not going to knock those guys out, but now you're in there with Mike Pyle, who, you know, he's been viciously knocked out in four of his last seven fights, and, you know, it's getting harder to watch each time, and they're not just flash KOs where, you know, oh, I got caught, this and that. No, no, these are the kind of knockouts where he's out for about five to ten minutes straight. They go to the broadcast to show the winner, and they can't even show Mike Pyle because he's still out cold and it's super sad to watch and you know then then he wakes up and he starts arguing with the refs he starts screaming like it's super super difficult and you know you, he just has no business in that octagon aside from coming in for that last 60k paycheck he had an unbelievable career I wish him the best but uh, Zach Otto look it doesn't matter if it's Zach Otto it doesn't matter if it's Alan Juban it doesn't matter if it's Nico Price fucking Alex Morano, any of these guys, anyone right now on the UFC's roster that's not 42 years old can probably come out here and knock out Mike Pyle. And that's just the bottom line. That's the reality of the fight game. I mean, look, when Chuck Liddell had three uh, KO losses in a row at the end of his career, you know, we were saying shit like, oh, but it was against Shogun and Rashad. And, you know, for all the newer fans who have only seen Rashad's last fights, go back and watch Rashad back in the day because Rashad was one of the greatest of all time. And at the time when he beat Chuck at UFC 88 in Atlanta, Georgia at Phillips Arena, that was like a holy shit moment. No one had ever seen anything like that before, especially from a guy like Rashad who wasn't known for his KO power. But then Chuck comes back, he fights Rich Franklin, and we're all saying, yeah, well, he got knocked out by Shogun and Rashad. He's not going to get knocked out by a guy like Rich. I mean, Rich isn't known for his knockout power. And then Rich absolutely <laughs> knocks him out cold. And I see this as a similar situation. I know someone's going to be like, oh, Zach Otto's not a former champion. That's not the fucking point here. The point here is that <laughs> my pile is going to get knocked out by someone that's not known for their knockout power simply because he's had enough and that's it so right hook ko i agree with you my man i think he's going to be switching stances i think he's going to put on a show i think it's going to be a first round knockout but if it's not it's going to be a 30 27 all zach otto's got to look out for look out for those knees in the clinch you know if you shoot for a takedown don't get your neck caught just basic shit man and he's got this so yeah, I got Zach Otto, and the reason that it's not minus 350, it's not minus 400, is because people don't believe in Otto. They think he's a jobber. They think he's a journeyman. And look, if he's up there against you know a young welterweight, okay, then we have a different discussion. But he's up there with a guy that's going to turn 43 later this year. He's up there with a guy who went on Ariel Hawani's show this week and said, the juice is not worth the squeeze over 10 times. Those were his quotes. And uh, it is what it is, man. So yeah, I got Zach Otto via first-round knockout. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Hector Lombard. He's minus 135, and the comeback on CB Dalloway is plus 115. Now, man, how the times have changed. You know, you know that, uh, you know, my boy Hector Lombard hasn't had his arm raised since he fought Josh Berkman the same night that Jones fought DC the first time, Shaq? I mean, the fight game is a, is a brutal, brutal game. And the fight game has not been so kind to both of these guys, man. Because, you know, in their primes, both of these guys are bad motherfuckers. I mean, Hector Lombard, I don't even have to talk about his, you know, past resume in Bellator. And, I mean, you remember when CB knocked out Cesar Ferreira? You know, I was telling everyone, hey, you know, just watch, just wait till you see what Cesar Ferreira does to this guy and CB knock him out with the left hook. And, I mean, uh, it's unfortunate when he beat Francis Carmar. You know, that was a big thing at the time. And, um, you know, we'll start with CB firstly. You know, CB, he's, his best friend's Ryan Bader. And as, as to be best friends with Ryan Bader, man, you got to be Ryan Bader's punching bag. And I honestly think that's, you know, why he's had such a tough time uh, taking damage. I mean, Ryan Bader probably, you know, <laughs> has knocked him out in the gym several times. And 
You know, I mean, look at him now. Now he's, uh, I mean, just think about all the times we've seen CB hurt, man. Jared Hammond, Mayhem Miller, Mike Masenzio, Bisping, Machida, Ed Herman, Nate Marquardt. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's other times as well. I mean, the guy's got an extensive history of being rocked in fights. But as far as Hector goes, I mean, ever since that Neil Magny fight, I mean, it has just been ugly. He can't take a punch anymore. And it's not even... It's not even that he can't take a punch. I'm talking about he can't even take the wind of a punch. <laughs> like, Hendo's swinging overhand rights, and the wind of it's rocking, rocking him. And, you know, his last fight against Anthony Smith, I mean, he was arguably up two rounds. All you got to do, Hector, is just hold on, bro. That's all you got to do is just survive, and you might, you might win a split decision here. And he can't even do that. It's just sad. And, you know, CB's last fight against Ed Herman, I mean, oh. That was another sad thing, you know. At least CB can still wrestle. His wrestling was still on point because one of those rounds was 10-8. And, uh, you know, he can at least go one-to-one going into the third round and pull it out. So, you know, on, on film, you would think CB has slightly a little more. But, you know, I do think, you know, CB is the type of guy that Hector can put pressure on early if he stays in his face and if he can stay conscious that, you know, he could punk CB out and uh, get him out of there. But I lean CB late. I lean Hector early. I'm going to go with CB just because I think he has slightly a little more left in the tank. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Hector, you know, stiffened him up in the first round. But I'm going to go with CB by uh, 29-28 decision. Both of these gentlemen have declined quite a bit. and uh, But the bottom line here is that, like you said, man, if it goes early, Hector's going to knock him out in the first round. And if it goes late, then make sure you hit up that live betting window because my boy Hector can't keep it up for more than a round and a half, especially at 185 pounds. I mean, when you're five foot eight in 2018 and you're fighting in the UFC's middleweight division, I mean, you're going to get your ass absolutely handed to you. But luckily for him, you know, I don't want to call it a cupcake because Hector's declined so much that he can't even beat Johnny Hendricks anymore. But, you know, C.B. Dalloway compared to, you know, Anthony Smith and some of these other guys, Dan Hendo, it is a bit of a cupcake. So, you know, he's got to put him away early because we know you can't trust that Hector Lombard gas tank. You absolutely cannot. And we've seen bigger men be able to take down Hector Lombard, such as Yushin Okami. Even fucking Neil Magny, who's not known for his wrestling. But that being said, I think Hector catches him early and puts him away. But if it goes past the first and second, make sure you hit up that live betting window. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got John Dodson. He's minus 175, and the comeback on Pedro Munoz is plus 155. Now, uh, is uh, is Dodson going to back out of the fight again if, if fucking Pedro misses by a couple pounds? You know, uh, that's unfortunate, but... I mean, now when you think about it, I kind of don't blame Dotson because uh, fighting a guy that misses weight is basically asking to take it out. You know what I'm saying? 9-0 and so, uh, in the UFC for the last <laughs> nine guys that missed weight. So, you know, when Greg Jackson heard Pedro miss weight, they were uh, immediately exiting out of this fight. And uh, I don't blame him. I wish Des Green would have done the same thing that night. You know, don't fight a guy that missed weight. You're going to lose. <laughs> So, uh, you know, Pedro, in my opinion, he's like the better Brazilian version of Brian Keller. You know what I'm saying? Constant pressure, eats a lot of shots. And if you panic, he will choke you out. And I'm going to go ahead and say I think Dotson's on the decline a little bit because, you know, in Dotson's prime, you know, he used to be able to, uh, you know, catch guys slipping, coming in. And, he, you know, he still does that. You know, he still is known for these little flash type of knockdowns like how he did against Marlon Marais a couple of times. You know, if you come in with your face first, you know, he will catch you. And I, I see this fight going down like all of Pedro's fights. I see, you know, Pedro moving forward and getting his face lit up for the first minute or two. And then, but that constant pressure, man, it, it causes people to panic. Like I said about Brian Keller, when they stay in your face, 
you end up making a mistake. And uh, I think Dotson will make a mistake. He just creates chaos. Only, this guy's only losses are to Jimmy Rivera and a fight he arguably won in Brazil and Rafael Assuncao, two top four guys. And that was Jimmy Rivera's probably toughest side of his career, if I'm not mistaken. And I mean, even back in the day, Dotson's fallback plan, you know, was fighting like a weasel. You know what I'm saying? He could always weasel out the decision if he had to. And now he can't even do that anymore. Now, you know, people think he uh, beat Marlon Marais, and I'll tell you right now, he lost. Besides the knockdowns, he didn't do shit. You know what I'm saying? So I think uh, Pedro's going to stay in his face. I think he's going to force Dotson to make a mistake. And I think uh, Dotson's going to get choked out. But, you know, if Dotson can uh, stay calm for three rounds, stay composed for three rounds without making a mistake, then props to him. Because, you know, he probably will be able to uh, eke out a decision if he can do that. But like I said, his ability to eke out decisions is kind of declining as well. So I'm going to go with Pedro here. I'm with you on this one, man. You know, I think that John Dodson, you know, like you said, he used to be able to weasel decisions. And kind of like Benson Henderson, once those fighters start declining, their best asset, which is, you know, winning bullshit splits, now they're losing bullshit splits. And, and you know, John Dodson, people, if you're – if you're going on your breakdown show and you're bringing up the fact that John Dodson beat TJ Dillashaw 100 years ago and you're using that as evidence that he's going to beat Pedro Munoz, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be picking fights. You shouldn't be betting on fights. You're a fucking moron because bro, I mean, are we really talking about that shit still? That was 100 fucking years ago. You know what I'm saying? And it's just a it's a complete disgrace that people would even bring up that example. It's like it's like breaking down you know, Bisbing uh, and GSB and bringing up the Matt Sarah fight. So I just, uh, I think it's a complete joke. It's like, it's like TJ had four fights and had no stand-up, and we're going we're gonna to bring up uh, Dotson, who had, at the time I'd have had like 15 fights. It's like Kiesa's like like ass trying to tell Vic that, oh, I already beat you. You beat him when he was 4-0 and and had zero jujitsu training. You didn't beat the guy that's 13-1 and right now. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, come on, man. That's that's a disgrace. But that being said, I, I think the first couple minutes of the first round, Dotson is going to you know pick him apart a little bit because, as we know, Pedro Munoz is very hittable, especially early. But as we also know, to put a guy like Pedro Munoz away, I mean, you got to bring some serious artillery because uh, Jimmy Rivera didn't put him away. None of these guys are putting my boy away. Rafael Asuncao didn't put him away. Robbie Font didn't put him away. And I highly, highly doubt that this little fucking midget John Dodson is going to put him away either. So, you know what I think? Like I said, first couple of minutes, he's going to pick him apart. It's going to be, oh, man, Pedro's so hittable, Pedro this, Pedro that. But then once Pedro starts to turn up a little bit, once Dodson starts to feel that pressure, once Dodson shoots in for a panic takedown, we snatch that neck. And I think that it's either going to be a guillotine choke. I think it's going to be a unanimous decision, maybe even the first knockout loss of Dodson's UFC career, but bottom line, I see the underdog coming through here simply because he wants it more. And, and that's the bottom line. That's Those are the reasons why uh, Dodson's been losing his last few fights. That's why he lost to Lineker. That's why he lost to Marais. Not because they were faster, because allegedly, allegedly everyone told me that Dodson was the fastest guy in the division, which you and I know has not been the case for the last couple years. He's slowed down quite a tad, but he can't get away with winning bullshit decisions anymore. He can't run around the ring, bore everyone to sleep, and still win like he did against Makovsky and Wineland. Those days are long gone, and I think now he's going to pay for it. I got Pedro Munoz for the upset. Now, next up in the lightweight division, this is going to be a serious fight, Shaq, and a lot of people have no idea what they're in for in this one. We got Benil Darius. 
Benny, he's minus 380, and the comeback on the newcomer, Alex Hernandez, is plus 315. Now, I see people just blindly parlaying Benil as if he's a lock here, and, you know, when I first heard the matchup, I was like, oh, they're giving Benil some newcomer, that's cute, Benil's gonna crush him. Then we look into that newcomer, and uh, I gotta say, Alex Hernandez is absolutely no slouch. Like, this kid, win or lose, this kid is going to have a bright future. He kind of reminds me of, you remember when Ellenberger first came into the UFC against Condit and he was this explosive powerhouse? Now, for all the new fans listening, I'm not talking about Ellenberger that stares at people and takes knees in fights like these days. I'm talking about Ellenberger back in the day, the Ellenberger that fought Mike Pyle, the dude that would just... He was built like a juggernaut. He was absolutely explosive. He'd run in there and run through dudes. And uh, that's what Alex Hernandez reminds me of, man. He's a little powerhouse, nasty sprawl, big knockout power, a submission game as well. But all that being said, Shaq, when you're fighting in the UFC's deepest division, which is 155 pounds, and you're making your UFC debut against a top 10 guy, I don't give a fuck if it says number 12, because between you and me, Benil is a top 10 guy. There's a couple guys in that top 10 that shouldn't be there, like Ally Akinta. Oh, he beat Diego Sanchez, Joe Lozon, and Ross Pearson? Congrats. Benil has actually beat... He beat Jorge. <laughs> he beat Jorge, but didn't really beat Jorge. You know, it's a, it's a complete disgrace. We all know Benil Dariush is actually a top 10 guy. I mean, fucking Benil beat Vic. Benil beat Rashid Magomedov. Benil beat Michael Johnson. Benil's the real deal. So, all that being said... Diego Ferrer. He beat, Die he beat Carlos Diego, you know what I'm saying? 30-27 on all cards in Brazil. So, you know, that being said, man, he's taking on the newcomer Alex Hernandez. I think the first round is going to be a, a fight of the night candidate. Now, whether it can extend to the third and actually get them that 50K bonus is a different story because kind of similar to the Tony Martin fight, you remember that storm Benil had to weather in that fight. And then he comes out, shows his uh, veteran savvy, shows that, hey, I am the top 15 guy in the spot. And if you want to beat me, you got to put me out. And he choked out Tony Martin that second round. I could see a similar situation here, Shaq. I could see Alex Hernandez throwing everything but the kitchen sink in that first round. And if Benil is still there... That's where the experience of Benil will take over. But I got to say, man, those first uh, couple of minutes, because we know Benil comes out hard, and as we've seen in the tape, Alex does too. This is going to be uh, – those for it could be round of the year. That's all I got to say, Shaq. Yeah, man. Uh, Alex Hernandez is no such. Like you said, win or lose, this kid is definitely going to hold his spot in the company. Make no mistake about it. And I think the kid can honestly beat a lot of guys in the top 30 in the division right now. Um, I think he, he's that good, but like we said, I don't give a fuck who you are. Debut against a uh, top, you know, 12 guy in the world, especially Dariush with some of the wins he's got, is definitely a big uh, step up now. As far as Dariush goes, I think Dariush is a solid fighter, but Dariush has one glaring weakness in his game. It's when he fights these workman type of fighters. Now, Hernandez, I don't think he's a, you know, fits that workman build, but I think that he might have a couple workman qualities in him. But um, but we know that, you know, when Benil fought Ramsey in a gym, Ramsey's a workman. When he fought uh, Michael Chiesa, Chiesa's a workman. When he fought Evan Dunham, you know, he got off to good starts. But then those guys ate all his shots, and then next thing you know, they started turning up on them. Now, when he fights, you know, when he fights someone that goes head-on with him, then uh, that's when we see the best Benil. But these workman guys that are, you know, like Dunham, for example, Dunham his last fight, I mean, he had Dunham with everything in the kitchen sink, but... I feel like at, at a certain time, you got to realize, hey, this guy's going to be here for the duration of the three rounds. Let me pull back a little bit and let me fall back, you know, to my point fighting skills. Let me fall back to my left kick game. And uh, he didn't do that. And you think that he would, you know, have learned that considering his two losses in the past. 
against that similar type of fighter. But as far as uh, the fight goes, these are the type of fights that I always say on half the battle. These are the type of fights you don't take. Alex Hernandez doesn't deserve to breathe Benil Darius's air. He doesn't deserve to be in the cage of Benil Darius. Now, I understand Benil, you know, he's getting married soon. He needs, you know, he needs a check. But, I mean, these are the risky fights. You have nothing to gain from winning this fight. Alex Hernandez has everything. Alex Hernandez has nothing to lose. He's going to walk in there like, man, I'm going to go after it. I have nothing to lose. That's where Benil's walking out like, man, if I lose to this fucking guy, like, <laughs> my career might be over. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So it's a super sketchy fight to take just like how Lama should have not taken that josh emmett fight i mean we can go we can go back so many times it's just like these are not the type of fights you can take but i do lean darius just because he's clearly the more experienced fighter uh he's probably you know slightly better everywhere but like i said if things get off to a bad start and hernandez gets some momentum the kid's got nothing to lose he's gonna feel invincible in there and like i said the kid's like you said, he reminds me of Ellenberger, super explosive, and he will go head on with Darius. So it's going to be an entertaining fight. I'm going to take Darius by a close 29-28 decision. I think he might. It's going to be a complete war. Both guys are going to be bloodied and battered up, and uh, I think we got a nice new addition to the 155-pound division, the glamour division of the UFC. So uh, I can't wait to see this fight. A hundred percent. You know, without even seeing the fight, this is already an early candidate for fight of the night. Hopefully fight of the year. I mean, I hope these two go out there and it's a epic war because the thing I love about a guy like Benil Dariush is he doesn't give a fuck about the rankings. All he cares about is fighting the toughest guys in the UFC. And he'll literally fight anyone, anytime, place. You know, it's funny. He beat James Vick and then he told Vick, like, look, man, get a couple more wins and I'll give you a rematch because I know you're just that damn good. That's the, that's what I respect about a guy like Benny. He doesn't care about the fame. He doesn't care about the money, even though between you and me, everyone cares about the money. But what I'm trying to say is that, you know, he's not looking for money fights and all this bullshit. He's just looking to test himself against the best. And initially, who was he initially supposed to fight? Bobby Green. You know, he's supposed to fight a perennial top out, a perennial tough out in uh, Bobby Green, but then he got the call to fight Alex Hernandez, and a lot of guys could have turned it down. Who the fuck is this guy, this and that? But Benil, he only cares about going in there and testing himself, and he's coming off a loss and a draw. He wants to get back on the win column, and this is going to be a serious fight. Look out for that left kick of Benil, because it's one of the hardest left kicks I've seen in the whole UFC, man. And I mean, the kid is uh, absolutely nasty, so I'm going with Benil here, but but pay, pay close attention to this kid, Alex Hernandez, because he's got a very bright future. Now, somehow, Shaq, that wasn't the main event of the prelims, and this is. Uh, we got Mackenzie, fake Brazilian accent, Dern. She's minus 425, and the comeback on Ashley Yoder is plus 340. Now, we know the deal here. I mean, they're trying to give Mackenzie Dern an easy win, and, and they, they gave her such a good stylistic matchup because... We know Ashley Yoder likes to jump on people's backs and pull guard and do all these things. You do that against Mackenzie Dern, you're probably going to get tapped out. So, I mean, we kind of know the deal here. I, you know, I'd rather talk about her fake Brazilian accent than this actual fight, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, this is definitely, they're definitely setting up Ashley Yoder. And Ashley Yoder, I mean, her last fight was some of the worst fight IQ I've ever seen because, let's be honest, her first two UFC fights, she had all the tools to win those fights. She had the takedown ability to win those fights. And she, and she, so the quiche fight, you know, it's one-to-one going into the third round. You know, the third round, you know, it's going either way at the point. And then the last minute, you go for a, a, a flying arm bar and go to your back and you, like, where's your fight IQ? And then the Angela Hill fight, 
you know, you, you blast double hill, you take her down on two different occasions and you're in, uh, in guard. And as Hill standing up, you try to hop around to the back. That's such a low percentage move. Like it's not going to work in the octagon. You know, it might work in the training room, but come on, Yoder, like she had the tools to win both those fights. And that's just a lack of fight IQ. You know, her nickname's the spider monkey. And, uh, you know, once, uh, Dana White heard that her nickname was the spider monkey, they, uh, their eyes lit up because, now they know uh, Mackenzie Dern's got an easy win here. Now, don't get me wrong, I think Mackenzie Dern is a fraud and a half. I mean, you know, I think uh, down the line she's going to get exposed hard. I, I think uh, that she's got a lot of grounds to catch up if she wants to, you know, challenge someone real at 115. But, you know, I see what they're doing here. They're giving her the Ashley Yoders of the world, and, you know, it's going to pay off here. But I don't think her stand-up's that – I mean, it's bad, but I don't think it's that bad to the point, like everyone's saying, because she does actually have power. And in little flurries, she does actually land punches. So – and uh, I've seen her, her drop a couple bitches. I mean, uh, this girl's my bad. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so uh, you know, I think uh, – I think uh, – uh, Dern's gonna take this fight. I think uh, Yoder's scared to get hit. I don't, I don't think she really likes to exchange. Um, but like I said, at the end of the day, I just see uh, Yoder making a dumb mistake and getting finished here. And uh, and then Mackenzie Dern, we can talk about uh, fading her against someone else. Yeah, go to YouTube, type in uh, Mackenzie Dern evolution of her accent and you know at first uh you know she's just a typical white girl saying y'all and like and you know what i mean like like my jujitsu y'all and all this shit and now all of a sudden uh she's uh you know miss brazil you know she's all like uh eh, jujitsu eh, to you know it's like what, what what happened there man so yeah you know uh the evolution of her brazilian accent is more impressive than the evolution of her fighting skills but as soon as this hits the match she's probably going to tap out yoder and uh we'll look to fade her very soon so keep your eyes peeled after this contest now it's time for the main card and first up we got Ketlin Vieira she's minus 155 the comeback on Kat Zingano is plus 135 now uh for everyone listening, y'all recall when we called Ketlin Vieira's last fight against Sarah McMahon to a T. We also called Marion Renault's fight against Sarah McMahon to a T because, uh, I mean, at this point, if you can't call Sarah McMahon's fights to a T, it's pretty simple. She's going to 10-8 you the first round, and then she's going to quit in the second round. But here, Kat Zangano's a way tougher competitor than Ketlin Vieira. The only issue is... I mean, we can talk about how she hasn't won a fight since 2014. We can talk about how she hasn't been in a fight since 2016. But, you know, Kat Zingano is a tough out for, for women's MMA standards. But she also comes from a completely different era. She comes from the Hoist Gracie era of women's MMA where, you know, Ronda Rousey, who was a one-dimensional fighter, was the queen of that division at the time. And uh, as you know, times have changed. And I know people like to talk about how, oh, she beat Amanda Nunes, this and that. And... Listen, man, I mean, this is true. On paper, she did beat Amanda Nunes. No one can ever take it away from her. But if you're under the impression that she would beat Amanda Nunes today, uh, <laughs> jump off a fucking bridge because she would not. She wouldn't even win the first round against uh, Amanda Nunes today. And what happened in that fight was, uh, you know, we used to criticize Amanda Nunes for her cardio. And nowadays, Amanda Nunes is going out there and winning five-round decisions. So, yeah, Shaq, I put zero stock into that. But all that said, man, go ahead. Who you got in this fight? I put zero stock into that. Like you said, that was the horse, horse uh, Gracie era of the game. You go back and you watch that fight with Misha Tate. One of the ugliest things I've ever seen. But at the time, that was the high level of the, that was the highest level of the game. And I mean, you watch the fight. Every striking exchange was ugly, hands down. On the mat, it was just back and forth, ugly scrambling. And you do that today in today's game, that does not work out. Times have changed. The game has uh, evolved and. 
you know, um, her fight with uh, Amanda Nunes, you know, back then, that's back when Amanda Nunes was getting tapped out by Sarah D'Elio and losing to Alexis Davis and a bunch of other people. Amanda, that was pre-ATT Amanda Nunes, you know what I'm saying? That was that It was, was pre-Reebok and USADA, I'm like, jeez. Exactly. That was the same night Connor and Dustin fought, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's that such a... Such a long time ago, just to man. put it just to and, put um, it in the context for everyone, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson was headlining a pay per view over Conor McGregor. If that doesn't say enough, <laughs> I don't know what will. Exactly, that's the same night you know Jorge you know gave James Krause a, a tour of the octagon. You know what I'm saying? It's such a long time ago, and um, you know I think the game has a, a passive offer. Um, you know everyone's saying, man, cats cats in good shape. Cats, you know, looking the best she ever has. Guys, I need you to rewind the clock back two years ago before UFC 200. We've already heard this tune before. We already heard her that she was in the best shape of her life before the Pena fight. And you saw what happened in that Pena fight. The game has evolved. I don't. I have a suspicion that Kat can't really sit down and box. Tell me one time she sat down and boxed in front of someone and exchanged punches. You know what I'm saying? You go back in that Juliana Pena fight at the end of the first round after, you know, Kat's uh, done, you know, on top of her and they get back on the feet and they start striking. Guys, tell, tell me what was that? Tell me uh, tell me what's up with her hands down and her chin up in the air and throwing lead kicks all the time. Like, tell me what's up with that. And uh, I think I think uh, this is a fight where, where it's going to solidify that, hey, the game has moved on past that era. And I think Kellen Veer is a future world title challenger. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think she's super calm and composed well-rounded and i mean you know people are gonna say well oh she fought fascials and evan smith and mcmahon look sarah mcmahon would 10-8 everyone in the female uh bantamweight division in the first round and i mean it just depends on how good you are if uh you can um if you can come back in the second we know that mary knows a tough chick and that she can come back in the second we know kellen kellen's the one that Everyone before that fight, you know, they can act like, oh, she beat Sarah McMahon, big, big whoop. And, you know, of course you're going to say that now. But before the fight, y'all were saying Sarah McMahon's a future world champion, this and that. And y'all completely forgot that Sarah McMahon's a quitter. And uh, Kevin Vieira had to remind everyone that, hey, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This girl ain't nothing. So uh, y'all should thank Ketlin for reminding everyone that Sarah, Mc Sarah McMahon ain't shit. But as far as they match up, you know, I think uh, Kat, her game is very limited. I think, you know, either she's going to try to, you know, charge right in and wrestle. And I don't think you can do that to a girl like Kevin Vieira, who's a judo black belt, a BJJ black belt. If Kat wants to, you know, get in the tie-ups and start working, I think we got the edge there. And I definitely feel like we got the edge on the feet. And not to mention, Dan, how many, how many times have we preached on half the battle? The females have to be able to go three rounds because, you know, Historically, they don't have the power uh, to knock each other out. And, you know, their finishing percentage is very low. How many times has Kat Zingano won a decision or been to a decision at that? Once in 2010 versus Barb fucking exactly. Honchak. Someone that lost to Lauren exactly. exactly. She's only been a decision one time. I think she's got Someone a Someone that issue. lost to Angela Magana, Shaq. I mean, it's it's just sad because that same chick beat Felice Harrigan, uh, Nina Andros, and you know a few, a few other girls, and Leslie Smith too. But but I don't I don't care about that because all the females have bad losses like that, so that doesn't really matter to me. But it's just the fact that she's only been a decision one time. I think Kellen's got a cardio advantage. We're the more fresher fighter. You know, we're not 35 years old. Not that that matters, but I just don't think that her. She's got a lot of catching up to do in terms of to go to have a game that's efficient to go three rounds 
to have to develop a boxing game and, you know, all her time off as where Kellen's already just refining the skills. We're young. We're 26. We're improving at a fast rate. We're ready for war. We're not ready for a fight. We're ready for war. And uh, I think um, she's going to, you know, further expose Kathleen Gano. And I think that she's got the advantage in every aspect of the game. And I think uh, it's going to be a one-sided fight. You know, it's kind of interesting because I was under some impression and very wrong impression that Kazangana was some Muay Thai fighter. And, uh, Jesus Christ, was I wrong, man. She's actually a grappler, man. And look, if they tie up and grapple, I mean, I think people forget about Caitlin Vieira's judo background. And, and it's not, you know, the typical head and arm throw that you see with every girl in the UFC. No, I'm talking about real hip tosses. I'm talking about yeah. real judo throws. And if uh, Kazangano... We, we don't... Exactly. We don't engage in that typical female. Juliana Pena is a meathead. The reason why Kat was able to get those takedowns is look how Juliana fought Valentina. That's the same way she fought Kat. She charged right in like a meathead and tried to grab double unders. And of course, when you know chicks grab double unders, what does every chick do then? They go for the head and arm throw. It's you know, pretty simple. Juliana doesn't get it. And that's why Valentina was literally waiting on her to do her things. And that's why she got embarrassed like that. You know what I'm saying? Because Chicks like Valentina, chicks like, you know, Amanda Nunes now, the new Amanda Nunes, chicks like Kevin Vieira, they're too skilled. They were brought up under a, a specific training method, the Nova style. I feel like the Nova style is just perfect for the female game, and I think it's going to come into fruition on Saturday. It 100% is perfect for the female game because they still haven't developed to the point of male MMA. That's why nowadays, you know, Nova O'Neal style does not work with the men. You see Burrell, you see Aldo. That shit don't work no more. But for the chicks, they're still in the dark ages. So it's going to work perfectly fine. That is the top standard, the Nova O'Neal style for chicks. Now, that is a, that, that in my opinion is a championship style for, for female MMA. And exactly. When when Kazangano tries to come in here and you know do a belly to back suplex or a belly to belly suplex, it's gonna get shook. It's gonna get shook right away. It's gonna get stuffed. Now she might get one in the first round. She might get one or two. And listen, Caitlin is a jujitsu black belt as well as a judo black belt. She's gonna get back up to her feet. And on the feet, it's a complete mismatch. Just go back and watch any of Kazangano's fights and let me know what you think of the stand up portion because uh, her stand up is uh, pretty damn non existent. You know, she had a couple knees against Misha Tate, but listen, she's got no hands whatsoever. She fucking keeps her chin straight up in the air and her hands down. She's going to get absolutely butchered on the feet. And like I said, that judo black belt, you know, uh, that Caitlin Vieira possesses, this isn't, you know, like the typical head and arm throw you see with every girl. These, these are real judo throws, real hip tosses. And if Kazangana tries to overextend, she will get thrown on her ass. Uh, I'm thinking a second or third round submission here, man. But worst case scenario, worst case scenario, still a win for Vieira. I think it's going to be a unanimous decision. So, yeah, I got Caitlin Vieira. I think she's going to get this win and get that title shot. Like I said, we got the more efficient techniques to go the three rounds. And like I said, I feel like Kat's got so much to catch up in the fundamentals, just the basic fundamentals. We're not engaging in typical head and arm throws. And like when she fought Fashos, you know what my girl Kevin was doing? She was waiting on Fashos to throw knees because Fashos is still in the developing stage, just like the rest of these girls. They don't understand. They just do things. They're all meatheads. But my girl Kevin's literally waiting on a knee and she dumps her. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how that fight went to a split decision, by the way, but, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, I mean, in the improvements from that fight till, uh, to the Ashley Evan Smith fight, I mean, were just drastic in the stand-up portion. I mean, that was one of the most hellacious stand-up beatings I've seen <laughs> in that division. So uh, I think Kevin's going to get a title shot after this. Yeah, and you see the improvements she made from her UFC debut to her sophomore appearance. Even now, 
Her fight against uh, Sarah McMahon, she's been getting better every single fight. That's not something we've seen from Kazangana. With Kazangana, you know, her bright days were in 2013, 2014, you know, and then she got her title shot, got absolutely embarrassed by the hoist Gracie of the women's division in a 15-second armbar. Then she took another 100 years off, comes back against Juliana Pena, who, you know, Juliana Pena also retired, and, you know, and she lost that fight too. Now she's fighting a young, hungry chick. Like It's just not going to work out well for her. You know, she should have taken a tune-up fight you know they should have given her a fucking who, who, would, who would be a good tune-up fight for kazangana they should they should have gave her sarah, sarah mcmahon you know what I'm exactly saying? but like i don't even i don't even know if she can win that fight to be honest because look <laughs> i think sarah I, I think sarah mcmahon you know you know will uh you know she'll struggle with chicks that are mentally tough for uh you know a couple rounds and you know people will say well what about cat when she uh Fuck, Misha, she is mentally tough. You know what I'm saying about Nuna? But like I said, that what year was that? I was like in high school when that happened. I, don't, I mean, I probably wasn't in high school, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, this time to change layoff after layoff, you know? I mean, I look, think, uh, she was the, fir she was the first mother. Listen, she was the first mother to win inside the octagon. It was cute. Congrats. You know, it was fun while it lasted. But, you know, <laughs> and I get it. You know, she's a stoner chick and she's kind of cute for MMA standards. So I get it. Yeah. You know, we, they all like it. They're all in love with her. But yeah. I'm more in love we're with all, money all, uh, than I am with uh, some chick I've never met before in my life. Exactly. So that said, you know who I got? I got Vieira. Now, next up in the heavyweight division. We got Stefan Struve. He's minus 175, and the comeback on the pit bull, Andre Arlovsky, is plus 155. Now, uh, it should be fun while it lasts. Hopefully it is. Who you got? Man, you know, uh, initially, you know, I thought the line was off, and, you know, I still kind of think it's off, but now, you know, I definitely see, uh, you know, it was def Arlovsky's last fight, you know, it was more of a case that Junior Albini might have been the biggest fraud in the uh, heavyweight division's history. You know, uh, he knocked out Tim Johnson, and I mean, we all we all bought the hype, Dan. We all got uh, tricked. You know what I'm saying? We thought he, uh, Junior Baby, was this uh, future top guy, and uh, I guess Tim Johnson must have really been injured that night. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, it was a case of that Junior Baby literally just stood at him and felt all his punches and literally wasn't answering back. And Struve, his last fight, I mean, you know. It was not that much shame because I actually think Volkov's just that good. I mean, but he did get broken down, and that's not the first time he's been broken down. Both these guys are super unreliable, in my opinion, um, to take a side, to specifically lean aside. But, you know, I could definitely see one of those jab uppercuts from range landing for Struve and, you know, Andre taking another canvas now. But I, I could also see Andre winning a long drawn-out war because, you know, Struve used to be this guy that used to come back in wars, but now it's like – the longer the fight goes, I feel like it, it favors his opponent. So I'm gonna go with Arlovsky in here. I think he's, uh, I think he might be a little, little more confident. But uh, to take a side in this fight, betting wise, you know, it's definitely something I'm not interested in. But uh, I'm gonna go with my boy, uh, the Pitbull Arlovsky. He's been working with, you know, my boy Paulino Hernandez, Hernandez down there at ATT. You know, the the striking coach of the of Jorge Masvidal, Colby Covington, Yoel Romero. You know, so uh, I think he's, uh, I think uh, Arlovsky's gonna get the job done. Yeah, look, uh, I understand where you're coming from because fading Stefan Struve is a very profitable, you know, venture. But that being said, my man, <laughs> I've been fading Andre Arlovsky almost every fight. And thank God I passed against uh, Junior, whatever his name is, because he was like minus 400. So I was like, oh, yeah, fuck all this. But I remember when I max bet Tibora to beat Arlovsky and fucking 
Arlovsky gave me a heart attack, man. That was at 5 a.m. in Singapore, and Arlovsky Church. actually showed some heart for the first time in 10 years. I was like, wow. Turns out Tiber. You know Turns out Tiber is a fraud, too. Yeah, Tibora got exposed recently. But, look, I'm going to go with Stefan Struve here. I know that, you know, we've been waiting 100 years for him to finally use his range and this and that. But I think against a guy like Arlovsky, he can do it. A guy who... You know, even though with heavyweight, it's hard to say when someone's completely done because at heavyweight, they have nine lives and they can fucking go into their prime in their 40s. So don't be surprised if Arlovsky catches him early, but I'm going to go with Struve. I think he uses his range, big knees up up the middle, straight punches. I think it's either going to be a decision or a, or a late TKO. So I'm going to go with Stefan Struve here for the win. Now, next up in the bantamweight division, the featured bout, we got Andre Sukumtut. He's minus 135, and the comeback on Sean O'Malley is plus 115. Now, I see a lot of emotional betters here. I see a lot of people saying that Andre uh, Sukumtut, or as Sean O'Malley likes to say, Andre Soccer Mom, is some kind of a lock. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did Andre Sukumtut lose or win against Albert Morales? Look, Dan, then me and you, you know, we were uh, we were having lunch maybe about a month ago, and we and we and we said we predicted this. We said, you know, Andre in this, uh, you know, O'Malley would open the favorite, and you know, we felt like the public would get emotional, and you know, bet Sukumtats from minus two sixty now on the opener, all the way to what is it right now? Plus one twenty, one twenty five, something like that. And uh, talk about emotional, Dan. They got really emotional because. You know, they're they're looking at that Tyrion Ware fight, and, you know, they're under the impression that Tyrion Ware is, you know, a complete bum and jobber, and I completely disagree. I think it was a tough fight for O'Malley, and considering O'Malley's experience level, considering who O'Malley had been in there with the point at the point, you know what I'm saying? O'Malley beat a guy that Cody Stamen beat, you know what I'm saying? So, in my opinion, O'Malley's a legit guy. And, you know, before the fight, I didn't think so, but the way he, you know, dealt with that after the second round, you know, the second round, you know, people will say, you know, oh, he took too much damage. Yeah, he, he took a little bit too much damage, but he's still learning, man. He's a kid. He, you know, it is what it is. At least he ate the punches because a lot of kids would have broke. At least he didn't break. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, granted, I hope he doesn't go for any more flying triangles or anything like that. Just real quick, man. Um, I know I know this is men's MMA, and I'm about to give a women's MMA example, but when shit goes wrong in the second round for Sarah McMahon, you see exactly what happens. And when shit went wrong for Sean O'Malley in the second round, you took it like a man and came back and won in the third. That's the sign of heart right there, Shaq. Exactly. A lot of kids would have folded. Sage Northcutt would have been doing the chicken dance all over the place. You know when Sage Northcutt hit the second round in his first fight against uh, Barbarina? You know <laughs> what <fun>. happened? <laughs> He, he quits to something that didn't even exist. You know what I'm saying? So as far as I'm concerned, I, I do think O'Malley has hard. I do think he has the potential to be, uh, you know, a mainstay in this division because, I mean, his offensive striking is serious in life. And then I like his slip and rip game. I love the way he likes to pull his opponent's counter out and then counter that counter and make his opponents look real stupid, man. So, uh, and as far as Andre Supertash goes, he's a straightforward tie boxer that, and that I haven't seen use any offensive wrestling. Now, if he did have offensive wrestling, you know, I would definitely be a little more, a little bit more worried because I definitely do see uh, Sugar Sean, you know, getting exposed down the line in that area with someone that can mix it up with the boxing and the wrestling and that response to the shots well. But um, as far as I'm concerned, Andre Sukumtach, or uh, as O'Malley likes to say, Andre Sakerman, I don't think this guy can win the decision. Plain and simple. I, he, he reminds me of like a, like a, a similar approach to Mike Perry. You know what I'm saying? They're one-shot KO guys. 
they ain't going to win a decision. They're not efficient when it comes to going to scorecards. They sit back and they allow their opponents to outvolume them, and uh, they're looking for a one clean KO shot. Now, if he can put O'Malley in form, then props to him, but I don't think so. I think O'Malley's going to be able to eat the shots. Um, like I said, I feel like people got emotional with this, and I think uh, O'Malley's going to win a dis- uh, his second decision here. And uh, I think Andre's one of these guys that, you know, I think he uh, feels the moment a little bit. I think he might, you know, feel feel the pressure of the moment. Now, starting the day, things are going to get real weird. This is when O'Malley's going to start really getting in his head. You know what I'm saying, bro? So, I think uh, I think um, O'Malley's going to win the decision. I think uh, Andre only has one path to victory, and that's by KO. Um, but uh, as we said, he's one in five. One fights go to decision. So, guys, I think this is a, a, a scenario where I like to say, I think you're waiting on a punch. Dude, people are overvaluing and overrating Andre Sukumtut so much in this spot. It's absolutely unbelievable because they're under the impression that O'Malley is a complete fraud. And look, if O'Malley was going in there against a guy like Cody Stamen or Brian Caraway, okay, then we have the talks to fade him. But against Andre Sukumtut, a guy who, like you said, he's a traditional tie boxer. He's just going to come in there. He's going to sit back, wait to see what you got, and then he's going to try to land his counter shots. And the thing is, when you sit back against a guy like Luke Sanders, who's a five foot six meathead wrestler okay then you can lose seven minutes of the fight and then come back land that one big shot and and win by knockout congrats yes. but and, and i want to say something about that i want to say something about that fight so the first round luke sanders is absolutely teeing off on him i mean it was a clear luke sanders round and you know luke sanders was staying that distance picking his shots but you know you could tell he was getting a little frustrated that andre wasn't engaging and then luke sanders like the meathead you know uh wrestler that he is you know luke sanders loses focus real quick in that octagon as you can see when he fought yuri and andre sukumtaj second round he comes out super aggressive and now he's trying to brawl and now you're playing right into uh, andre's game because he's a counter striker he's looking to counter you with one big shot and that's exactly what he did like i said when you got a five foot six wrestler like luke sanders who was beating your ass on the feet for the first seven minutes and then he runs in uh with his hands down and his chin straight up in the air, congrats. You countered him. You got your first UFC win. Go back and listen to that episode of Half the Battle. I called Andre Sukumtut by second round KO on the dot, okay? But this is a different spot. Now we got a five foot eleven long striker who uses his range, uses his length. He's going to keep the fight super long. And uh, Andre is going to have to commit to something. Andre is going to have to fight un- uncharacteristic because if you think he's just going to counter O'Malley and put him out, I think, you got, I think you're in for a big surprise. I think you're in for a rude awakening because that's just not how Andre fights. Andre needs that counter KO to win the fight. And like you said, O'Malley is perfect at – well, not perfect, but he's really good at countering the counters. I think he's going to pick apart Andre Sukumtel. Look, he'll eat some big shots along the way, but – I actually really like Sean O'Malley's head movement. I like that slip and rip. I like uh, how he circles off the cage. I like uh, his arsenal of strikes, man. The kid's really creative out there. You know, I was trying to look for every reason to fade him and this and that, but I couldn't do it, man. The kid's impressive, and I actually got him to win this fight by decision. Andre Sukumtut will be 1-6 lifetime when fights go to scorecards after uh, they raise Sean O'Malley's hand the winner. So. Uh, another thing, how all these people betting Andre Sukumtaj, I mean, how are we going to forget about the Alejandro Perez fight now? I don't want to hear any bullshit, oh, Andre got robbed, this and that, because I'll tell you right now, he didn't get robbed shit. You already know the circumstances that you're in. You're in Alejandro's hometown. You drop him with three jabs, and you never follow up on not even one of them. Now, 
is that the type of guy you're looking to bet on? A guy that got three knockdowns in a fight and couldn't win? And, you know, and in the second round, after you get a knockdown, you point uh, three fingers up to him, and then you're shaking your shoulders and you're laughing at him, and then you go to your back for the rest of the remainder of the round, and then the third round, you completely give away the fight. He literally handed that fight to Alejandro on a silver platter. You know what I'm saying? That's not the type of guys uh, we like to look into at half the battle. Yeah, 100% not. Look, Andre Sukumta reminds me of... Uh the bantamweight version of Eric Shelton. You know, he's he's talented, he's athletic, he's this, he's that, he's got potential. But when it comes down to fight night, man, he just can't put it together inside the UFC's octagon. He's known for losing those close decisions. And uh, listen, there's guys that win close decisions, guys like Jimmy Rivera, guys like Cody Stamen. And then there's guys that lose close decisions, guys like Eric Shelton, guys like Andre Sukumta. Sukumta couldn't even beat Albert Morales. Yeah, Albert's my boy, so what? Right now we're talking about money. We're not talking about friendship. So uh, you just got to be real with it. I got Sean O'Malley by unanimous decision. Co-main event of the evening. Frankie the Answer Edgars, minus 175, and the comeback on Brian T. City Ortega's plus 155. Now I said co-main event. What I really meant was main event because this is the fucking main event. I mean... You know, when I when I put this video out on YouTube and SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, it's going to say UFC 222, Edgar vs. Ortega edition of Half the Battle. It's not going to say fucking no. Cyborg vs. Kunitskaya no. edition. You know what I'm saying, man? Don't, no, don't, no, don't, don't disrespect my girl Cyborg like that, bro. My girl? It's Ray Elby's girl. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's not even bring up what my boy Dana White said about that because I ain't going to be the guy to say all that, but... Uh, you know what I'm saying? My boy T-City and my boy Frankie Edgar, I can't wait to see them both go out there and have a serious fight. Now, look, on paper, it's easy to say things before a fight happens. But, you know, as you know, this is a pre-fight show. Pre-fight, I think if the fight ends inside the distance, Ortega's going to win. I think if it goes all three, Edgar's going to win. So, uh, you know, that's pretty simple to say. Tell me your opinion on the fight. Yeah, man. Um, You know, initially, I was kind of on Ortega in this fight, and, you know, you know, it's a it's a little tougher fight because I I was completely wrong about this guy Ortega. You know, I thought he was gonna get weeded out before the Hanato Moicano fight. And I mean, to go toe to toe with a, a guy like Moicano who's coming off a win over Jeremy Stevens, and you see what Jeremy's doing right now. You know what I'm saying? Um, that was super impressive, man, because that was a, a serious war, fight of the night war. And I mean, to pull it off like that. I mean, I was convinced right then and there. I was like, man, this guy, <laughs> this guy just can't, uh, he's going to find a way to choke you out. And, you know, it's fine with Cubs on. And I mean, we knew that was going to be easy money. And I mean, uh, Cub was lucky to get out the first round. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, Frankie Edgar, I mean, what can you say about that guy? It just seems like, you know, Jose Aldo is probably his trip tonight. But um, like you said, I mean, I feel like the game plan for Frankie is to come out here and stall out a decision, you know? I feel like they're going to come out here, try to use angles, you know, box, land the, uh, the the shots, you know, the cleaner shots, the point fighting type of shots. And, you know, if Ortega can't finish them, then Frankie's going to win a decision here, man. I mean, it's plain and simple. Frankie's definitely more, um, he's definitely more efficient when it comes to winning decisions. That's for a fact. But like I said, Ortega tends to put the, this type of pressure on guys. You know, he likes to get in these guys' faces and eat a whole bunch of shots. You know, and then he uh, he makes them panic, just like uh, Pe Pedro. You know what I'm saying? He makes them panic, and they end up leaving a neck out there. And we already know if uh, Ortega touches that neck, the fight's over. So, and uh, you know, I think Frankie might be under the impression that uh, that Ortega's jujitsu is just jujitsu. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I think he's mistaken. But like you said, I'm gonna go with Ortega here. 
I think he uh, I think he will make Frankie make one mistake. I think it's going to be going Frankie's Eggers way the entire time, but I think I want, at some point when they get in tight, I think he will leave a neck out, and I think he will get tapped out. So uh, I'm going to go with Ortega, but if it goes three rounds, it'll definitely be a Frankie Edgar decision. Yeah, and look, uh, all the Frankie Edgar fanboys don't come at me because I'm a huge Frankie Edgar fan as well. First live UFC event I ever attended was Frankie Edgar versus Gray Maynard, the trilogy. And if you go watch that highlight, you see Frankie Edgar knocking out Gray Maynard. Just look closely. When you see that guy putting his hands up with the poster, that's me, motherfucker. So zoom in. If you take a screenshot of that, I'll give you a free bet because it's definitely there. But uh, that being said, man, look, Edgar is a future Hall of Famer. I, I love that guy. I mean, I remember when I saw his fight with Tyson Griffin right then and there. I was like, okay, one of these two is going to be a future world champion. And I was correct. Frankie Edgar became a future world champion when he defeated BJ Penn. At the time, it was completely unheard of. I remember that event in Abu Dhabi. Anderson Silva fought Damian Maya. Fucking go check out uh, Mark Munoz versus Kendall Grove. They actually won fight of the night at that event. Hell of a fight. Those two threw down. Remember, uh, <laughs> remember on that card when Rick, Sto- Rick, Rick Story fought uh, Slick Nick of Shipshack? Bro, listen to this shit. So, uh, and this is really bad. It's embarrassing, but I'll admit it. You know, I'm a man. Uh, so, Rafael Dos Anjos fought Terry Edom, right? And at the time, this is pretty funny. I told my boy, I was like, bro, Terry Edom's going to beat Rafael Dos Anjos' ass. And then, uh, as you saw, Rafael <laughs> Dos Anjos broke his arm. But uh, look, th- what I'm getting to with is Frankie Edgar's a legend. He's a future Hall of Famer, unbelievable fighter. I'm a huge fan for life. I mean, I hope my kids grow up to be like Frankie Edgar when they're when they're older. I hope that he's their wrestling coach. You know what I'm saying? Like, how can you not respect Frankie Edgar? It's fucking Frankie Edgar. But Brian T. City Ortega, I gotta say what I gotta tell you what man. The kid's on a mission. The kid's on his title run right now. And his jujitsu is absolutely devastating. Now, I know conventional wisdom says that, you know, we wish this fight was five rounds, but fucking T City hasn't needed five rounds to get the job done up until now. But then again, this is a big step up in competition, and a guy like like Edgar might be able to survive the three rounds, no problem, and go out there and win that decision. You know, Edgar might view this as this is a similar situation to when I fought Du Bronx, but I don't view it like that because Firstly, I think T-City is a lot tougher than Dubronx. I think his jiu-jitsu is way better than Dubronx. And there's nothing suspect to me about T-City. Like, for example, like, if you hit T-City in the body really hard, he's not going to take a knee. Like, like you remember that fight with Dubronx and Max Holloway? Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, none of that. You remember the fight with Cub Swanson and Dubronx? That kind of shit yeah. is never going to happen with a guy like T-City Ortega. If you're going to beat T-City, you're going to beat him fair and square. There's not going to be any bullshit. So... What Frankie wants to do, in my opinion, I could be wrong, I think he wants to keep the fight standing. I think he wants to box T-City Ortega because if we've seen there's been one somewhat of a weakness, I know Ortega's found a way to win against all these guys, but if there's been one weakness, it has been a bit of a striking defense. You know, he does get tagged up early in all of his fights, and we were under the impression that, oh, he's just a Gilbert Burns, he's a punching bag with great jiu-jitsu, but it turns out, man, his boxing's come a long way because when he was piecing up Moicano in that first round, when he hurt Cub Swanson in that fight, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, his striking's gotten way better. Now, is it at the level of Frankie Edgar's? I'm not entirely sure. I also think he's a lot bigger than Frankie Edgar. Now, granted, Frankie Edgar's used to fighting bigger guys. Go look at both of his fights with Benson Henderson back in their primes, you know? But this is a different time. And there's been a lot of firsts when Brian Ortega has fought. Dating back to his fight with Tiago Tavares, he was the first man to sweep and mount 
Tiago Tavares. He was the first man inside the octagon to submit Diego Brandao. He was the first man to knock Clay Guida out cold inside the octagon. He was the first man to beat Renato Moicano. So there's a lot of firsts with him because I know Frankie Edgar's never been finished and this would be a first. But that being said, man, don't be surprised because like I said, every time Ortega fights, there's always a first for everything. And Frankie Edgar... He's, he doesn't look like he's on any decline to me. He's always looks like he's improving, even though he's in his 30s now. If he dives in on a takedown like he did against Yair. Now, you remember Yair was stuffing the takedowns well, and then Yair attacked the neck with a guillotine choke. Now, a guy like Yair, who's, you know, he's probably a blue belt or a purple belt. You know, you jump on a, if you're a blue belt or a purple belt and you're jumping guillotine on a guy like Edgar, expect to, expect to get absolutely smashed. But, if Frankie closes the distance on Ortega like he did to Yair, and Yair, excuse me, if Frankie closes the distance on Ortega like he did against Yair, and Ortega grabs that neck, that's going to be all she wrote. That's going to be game, set, and match. So don't be surprised if Ortega becomes the first man in MMA history to finish Frankie Edgar. But that being said, man, it goes the three-round distance, and I could totally see Frankie Edgar picking him apart for three on the feet. I could also see a back-and-forth war. It's super tough fight to call. A lot of people are overconfident in Edgar here, and I understand why. It's Frankie Edgar, man. And T-City has to take that first L. It's right around the corner. The winner of this fight is going to get the champ, Max Holloway. Now, I really have no idea who the fuck's going to win, man. It's such a great fight. I wish it was five rounds. Honestly, if this was the only fight on the card besides the one we got money on, I'd be cool with that too. This is the main event for me. I'm going to go with Ortega inside the distance. I think he finds a way to catch the great Frankie Edgar, the future Hall of Famer. But look, if my boy Frankie takes it three and wins the decision, then hey, he's just one of the baddest motherfuckers in the history of the sport. And both these guys have my utmost respect. Look, I respect anyone that steps inside that the UFC's octagon, win or lose. And I know we talk a little bit of shit sometimes and people don't really understand our sarcasm because, you know, half the time we are being sarcastic. But I really do respect anyone that steps inside the octagon, even Sarah McMahon. You know what I'm saying? I respect everyone that, that, that makes that walk and gets the cage door shut behind them locked. Like even here on the local level, it's all respect and love. That being said, man, when you get these two absolute badasses in the 145-pound division, literally the number one and number two guy right behind the champion Max Holloway, this is this to me is almost like a – Remember going into Khabib versus Edson, how it was like we didn't have any money on the line, but it was just like you have to watch this fight. Because nowadays, I know the sport's getting a little oversaturated, and we don't give a fuck about the fights like we used to and this and that. We give a fuck about making money more than ever, don't get me wrong, but we don't care about being a fan anymore. But this is one of those fights where you call your friends up and you're like, hey, if you're going to watch one fight on this card, you watch Brian Ortega versus Frankie Edgar because history is going to be made, man. And I really have no idea what's going to happen. I want to pick Ortega because I'd like to see him get the title shot versus uh, Max. But don't be surprised if Frankie comes out here and wins. A lot of people are super confident in Frankie. I wish you all luck. I wish the right side luck. Uh, I'm going to go with Ortega. We'll see what happens though. Main event of the evening. Allegedly the main event. You know, this to me is not the main event. What it really is, do you remember at UFC 100 when Brock Lesnar fought Frank Mir and then right after that they put John Fitch and Paulo Tiago as like the dark match? You know what I'm saying? This to me is like the dark match. So they got Christina Justino Cyborg. She's minus 1750, Shaq. The comeback on my girl Yana Kunitskaya is plus 1125. Now look, I know I know a lot about Yana Kuniskaya. You know, a lot of people are under the impression that she's just some can being brought in to lose, and most likely she will lose, but she ain't no can. I'll tell you this. If Lena Landsberg made it to the second round, 
then don't be surprised when Yana makes it to that second round. Now, I've bet on Yana in two of her fights before against Evinger both times. First time, she finished her in the, in the first round. Second time, uh, she got finished. So, and you know, I was out, uh, you know, having some beverages with a lady friend. I got a text message that uh, my girl Yana had lost, and it was a disappointing moment. But look, she's come a long way. She won the Invicta title since then. Now, uh, like you, like we said when we first started the podcast, she was supposed to fight 3-1 and one, Leah Letson. She was supposed to fight Sarah the Quitter McMahon. Now she's fighting Cyborg. It's just unfair uh, how they're doing her like that but at the same time I hope she's getting that 250k to show I hope they're treating my girl Yana you know with a nice six-figure paycheck to get to you know to just to show up man because this is a uh, I mean how do you just go from fucking fighting Raquel Palilui in Invicta to fighting Cyborg you know what I mean but I think Cyborg's gonna win obviously she's a minus 1750 but the argument I'd make for the line being a little bit lower is that Lena Landsberg fight. You know, if Lena Landsberg can make it to the second round, why can't Yana Kuniskaya? But making it to the second round doesn't mean you're going to win the bet. So, you know, all these people parlaying... Tony uh, Evinger made, made it to the third. Yeah, exactly. All these people parlaying uh, Cyborg minus 1750 and Cyborg inside the distance minus 750. Uh, don't you got... Can't you find better options, Shaq? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, there's a safe way of doing things and then there's a... A money-making way of doing things, you know what I'm saying? Uh, risking seven and a half or sixteen units, seventeen and a half units to win one. I mean, come on, that's a complete joke. But you know, of course, Cyborg's probably going to win this fight. But don't be shocked if uh, Yana can make it, you know, a couple, uh, a couple rounds. But uh, it's unfortunate, you know, that Yana's probably got to take this ass whooping. But I got the utmost respect for Cyborg. I truly believe that she is the greatest female fighter of all time, and I think she has been for a while. I remember people back in the day were saying. Oh man, Ronda would uh, beat her ass if she came to the UFC. And I mean, if, <laughs> imagine if that fight would have actually happened. Jesus Christ, that would have got ugly. But um, I just think uh, Cyborg's probably going to do this. But I'm going to say in the third or fourth round, man, I think Yana's actually good enough to hang around. And I think Yana's got a, a bright career moving forward. Like I said, make no mistake about it. She would have been making Sarah man quit last weekend. And I think uh, she was going to make, uh, hopefully, she drops back at 35. But, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. And, uh, but Cyborg's going to get the job done here and uh, have another title defense. Remember when people said that fraud Ronda Rousey could beat Cyborg? Remember when people said <laughs> that fraud Ronda Rousey could beat Floyd Mayweather? <laughs> Remember <laughs> no, when people said, said that, that fraud Brian Ronda Carraway Rousey could beat Brian Caraway? <laughs> hey, and by the way, I, I don't blame Brian Caraway for saying what he said at all because, I mean... You know, granted, you know, you can't say that you're going to knock a chick's teeth on a girl, but, I mean, if she wants some smoke, I mean, she had it coming. <laughs> yeah, uh, she definitely uh, – why hasn't she shown her face? You know, what kind of fucking champion is that? You know, like when you see a great champion take an L, you know, they'll, they they thank their fans for the support. Hey, you know, uh, it's just – Ronda's yeah. a total and, fraud. Now and, she's doing that fake shit. Another, and not just Ronda. I think Nisha's a complete fraud too. And, you know, John Jones uh, had to put her in check yesterday. Oh, that was amazing. And, you know, I'm glad – I'm, I'm glad John said that because he honestly took it easy on her. He really could have said some other things. and um, He really spared her. But, you know, Misha's a fraud too, man. She's just mad that she couldn't be around her. And it's so funny to see how, you know, both their lives are now and, you know, their their relationships and whatnot because uh, it's, it's kind of funny. <laughs> and I hope we see John Jones back, uh, the best fighter I've ever seen fight in my life so it'd be nice to see uh john jones back inside the octagon take your personal feelings aside let's just see the best compete that's all i want to see and john jones is the best fighter i've ever seen so hopefully he comes back soon oh Shaq, you trying to run this promo man yeah man 
doing big things at uh, Best Five Picks. You know, last weekend was a good weekend for us. We cashed that under two and a half. Jaban um, and uh, Ben Saunders, and we had a nice little sharp underdog play on Brian Keller, you know, uh, taking the life out of Brown last weekend. Now, you know, I know there's people that have had bad experiences out there with handicapping services in the past, but I need you to forget about that because those guys weren't Dan and I. Those guys weren't as dedicated dedicated as I am. All I need is 1% of your confidence, and I, and I fucking promise I'll get the other 99%. I mean, we're here for one job, and that is one job only, to make you money plain and simple. You know, if you treat this thing as a hobby, man, hobbies you know, tend to be expensive after a while, bro. You know, betting 10 and $20, you know, isn't going to get you anywhere. You got to treat it like a business a business because businesses can be profitable. Businesses, businesses can put money in your pocket. You know what I'm saying? Now, I know we all have different reasons of why, you know, we want to, you know, earn a little extra money. And, you know, you know, Dan, let's say, for example, you know that chick at, at your school or your job or at the gym, you know, she's got, she's got that, big pair of tits and that fat ass and you know she's just smoking hot and you know you're just not you're not sure if you can uh afford to consistently take this chick out because you know let's let's, let's be honest here, there's a good chance that chick's got a very expensive taste i mean we'll put that money in your pocket that you can take care of your, yourself her and i mean you know maybe one on the side if you want you know what i'm saying just don't get caught up and blame me you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know another thing is you know you know, every week, you know, I understand there's guys out there, you know, they're busy, they got jobs, they got kids, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, they really can't catch these good opening lines because, you know, they don't have the time to watch the tape or prepare. And, you know, that's what, we, that's what we're here for. We're doing this 24-7. We already got, you know, plays that we're looking at for UFC London. That's not even in two weeks, you know what I'm saying? I already have a max bet plan for late April. Exactly, you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, we're, we... We're prepared, and you and someone will be like, "Well, how are you going to communicate me if we live in different countries, man? I communicate any way, any which way you want: email, text, WhatsApp, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, Skype. It, is what it is whatever which way. You we do. got members in exactly. Australia. We got members in Sweden. Got, we got members in Tasmania. I, <laughs> I got, I got. I'm talking to guys in Finland, Australia, all across the world. I mean, communication is no problem. I'm out there trying to help everyone catch these good lines because. Like I said, every week these odds makers are giving gifts of lines out and people aren't capitalizing on them. I know me and my guys are capitalizing on them and that's why I want you guys to capitalize on them because I want everyone to have the money in their pocket at the end of the day so we can do whatever we want. I mean, let's have extra money in our pocket so, you know, whenever you feel like, you know, your boss is getting on your nerves, you can tell your boss to fuck off, leave me alone. I got money from Best Fight Picks, you know what I'm saying? So, fuck your boss and fuck your job, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, Everyone needs a little secondary income, and uh, that's what we're here for. This weekend is going to be the biggest weekend in the history of the company. It's time to hop on board. Not one max bet, Dan. Two max bets. And, I mean, you guys already know the history of me and Dan's max bets when we agree on a max bet. I mean, the numbers are just flawless, and uh, nothing's going to change this weekend. Hop on board, guys. 100%. You know, now 
is the time to take advantage because there's a new odds maker in town. And I'll tell you what, he ain't as sharp as my boy Nick Likas. This new odds maker, I'll tell you, what, I'll criticize him a little bit. He doesn't have balls. He's opening fights that are mismatches at minus 120 pickums. He, uh, you know, he's taking mismatches that should be minus 400, and he's opening them minus 175. These are the kind of things that we're jumping all over. He's taking guys like Brian Kelleher, who should have been minus 180 against Henan Barrow, and he's fucking plus 150 or so. So if you want to take advantage, especially now, of this new odds makers oversights, you go to bestfightpicks.com, you go to maxbestseason.com, and sign up today. And make sure when you sign up, you let us know in advance that you heard this promo so we can give you a serious discount. And uh, get on the winning team today because long term, no one does it better than Best Fight Picks. He literally said that you ban Ben Saunders under at two and a half, bro. When I saw that, I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, And by two and a half, we don't mean minus 250. We mean under two and a half rounds. The fight ended in exactly. under one and a half rounds, Shaq. <laughs> minus 155 on the under two and a half. And, you know, it got steamed to about minus 175 by the fight. But like I said, with me, you already know these things. You already know, hey, when this under two and a half – is our, I'm already giving that out to people, man. And I hope everyone uh, realizes and hop on boards. I need you to forget about whatever past service you had. And I'm not going to give you a minus 300 the day of the fight where, you know, not everyone can play that. I'm giving you all plays that you can play. Minus 130s, plus money, underdogs. I mean, I'm giving you things that you can actually play. And long term, the numbers speak for themselves. Well, Shaq, let's hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, how's it going? Good, man. Uh, coming off an awful week, so it can really only go up from here. You know, I heard an awful week for you was still a 10% ROI, man. I, I wish my awful weeks were like that. <laughs> mine mine was terrible. I lost like 2300 bucks last week. Uh, I think it's probably the worst I've ever done. Uh, my cash games usually bail me out, but I, I was just off real bad last week, and I paid for it. Well, you know what, man? This is a long-term game, and uh, if you haven't taken an L before, you're either full of shit or I've never met someone of your caliber before in my life. And uh, look, the bottom line is we're about to bounce back this week, and we're here right now on Half the Battle to talk about it. And, man, I got the DraftKings lineups. I got the prices right in front of me. Let's not even beat around the bush, man, because the real main event between Frankie Edgar and Brian T-City Ortega, not only did I hear you have a bet on this fight and a strong opinion, but holy fuck, I mean, is this not the best featherweight fight we've seen since probably Max and Aldo? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad Ortega took the fight because without this fight, I don't know how they can charge anybody for this pay-per-view. This is really the fight to see. Um, I might go to a bar. I don't think I can pay 65 bucks for the pay-per-view, but I might go to a bar specifically for this fight. Yeah, well, listen, man. You got a bet on one side. Tell Just go ahead, man. This is the Big Marley Minute. We already gave our breakdowns. Tell us yours. <laughs> yep, I like uh, Frankie in this one. Um, I thought the line would be like minus 250 or so, um, and right now he's minus 175. So I think there's a lot of value there, and I got a couple bets on him, and I might even lay more if the line keeps going down because uh, I do feel pretty strongly one way about this. And Ortega's coming in on short notice. He usually is not winning the majority of his fights until he does win the fight. Uh, and I think that's how he would have to win here again. He's going to have to get the neck of Edgar, maybe like a standing guillotine like he did against Cub. Uh, but I think Frankie's just going to be too good on the feet, too fast, moving too much for him to get a hold of. Um, and I don't think he's really going to put much up against him in a standing fight. 
Uh, I think it would be foolish of Edgar to take it to the ground, but if he does, uh, I think he could hang in there. So I prefer it just be standing. I think that's probably his game plan, just to pick him apart for three rounds. He's used to five rounds, so this should be a walk in the park. Um, and I like him on DraftKings as well. He's 8,700. If he wins a decision, he'll probably put up enough strikes to be paying that off. I expect uh, Ortega to be pretty pretty highly owned because he is uh, one of the most live dogs, I guess, on the card. Uh, so I'll probably be a little bit underweight on him and overweight on Frankie, but can't wait for the fight. Is Kyle Marley saying that it's max bet season on uh, Frankie the Answer, Edgar? The future Hall um, of Famer? Max bet season. Let's go, Edgar. There you go, man. Look, man, I, I truly believe if it goes the three-round distance, you're going to cash. It's just about not getting caught. I really believe that's all it comes down to. Yeah, agreed. So another fight that I really like is Sean O'Malley versus Andre Sukumtut. Now, I kind of have a different opinion than a lot of people. Everyone thinks that Sukumtut uh, is going to derail the hype train. And uh, I disagree, man, but I know you disagree with me, so the floor is yours, buddy. No, uh, we talked about this uh, off-air. Uh, and I figured Sukumtau would win maybe a knockout or a decision. You figured he would probably have to get a knockout to get the job done. And uh, after a film, I think I probably do agree. O'Malley's just going to have too much of a pace for him to lose a decision, I'm thinking, unless he gets dropped a few times. Uh, so I kind of want uh, both sides of this in GPPs. I might avoid it in cash unless uh, I just go with the favorite if it's maybe the last pick on my lineup or something. Uh, but I think I want exposure to both sides in GPPs. I do think Sukumtau can get that knockout. Uh, O'Malley might be a little bit overhyped, but if he doesn't get the knockout, then O'Malley's probably going to put up a, a good pace and score over 80 or so points and a win. So I, I want my exposure to both sides because I'm having a hard time picking uh, a winner in this myself. But if I had to pick gun to head right now, I'd say Sukumtau by KO. So the heavyweight, Struven Arlovsky, you know, it's a, it's a gamble because the fight ends inside the distance, you're going to score a lot of points, but if they just stare at each other for three, you're going to be like, God damn it. So are you going to have any exposure to this fight? Are you fading it all together? What's the deal? Man, it's hard to fade uh, heavyweight fights just because they can't end with one punch. So I'd rather have exposure to both sides than fade, but uh, you got to have dogs somewhere. So if I had to pick a side on this, I'd rather just take the dog uh, and get some more favorites in my lineup <clears throat> using Arlovsky. Uh, what do we got him out here? Uh 7,400 on DraftKings. And if he wins by knockout, he's for sure going to pay that off. Uh, so I think I would rather just go with Arlovsky as one of my dog options. And uh, I don't know if I want to fade Struve completely, but if I'm only making one lineup, Struve won't be in it. That's for sure. Any thoughts on Vieira versus Kazangana? Because I have a feeling, look, man, if Kazangana comes out here and gets this upset, there's going to be a lot of takedowns on her part. As you know, you know she is a grappler. And with Caitlin Vieira... She's pretty damn well-rounded, man. So I, I have a feeling, even though it's a chick fight, even though most chick fights do go the distance, look, Kazangana's only won one career decision in her life. So we, it's safe to say she's a finisher. And you saw Caitlin Vieira's last fight as well, man. So I actually have a feeling that, you know, despite most female fights not scoring high, I think the winner of this one will score high. You picking a certain side? No, I'm really not. I think uh, I might even be forced to fade this one just because I can't pick a side, really. Uh, I would probably maybe lean towards Vieira to be the favorite, uh, but she's $400 more expensive than Zingano, and you got to find Doug somewhere. So if I had to pick a side, I guess I would go with Zingano and just save the money. Uh, but I don't even know if I want to do that. So I think I would rather fade this fight and hope it is low scoring uh, in a decision, maybe a 29-28, so that someone doesn't dominate in points uh, and they both score a decent amount. But I think this could be uh, a good cash 
punt. I'm not punt. A good catch play the way because I do think it would probably go to a decision, and you're going to get points along the way. Uh, so I think if I had to pick a side, I'd go Zingano and just get another dog in there. So this fight between Benil Dariush and the newcomer Alex Hernandez. Now, tell me about if my drafting strategy is uh, idiot or genius here because I have a feeling I'm either going to be really wrong or really right. I was thinking this could actually be a scenario, even though Benil is 9200 super expensive, I thought this could be a scenario where you could stack both guys because as you saw, I know you saw the footage on Hernandez. This kid is a little powerhouse. He's going to come out swinging very heavy, very early, but if he starts to gas out and, you know, the vet, Benil, takes over and finishes him in the second or third round, I have a feeling both guys can score a lot of points. Now, is this a am, – am I thinking wrong or am I thinking right? What do you think? I don't think I would stack this fight. Um, however, I do think a punt on the underdog Hernandez uh, in a GPP would be fine because I think he's just going to be pretty much blindly faded by most people. And if he goes out there and gets a knockout in the first round – you're going to have to have him on your team in order to win. Uh, but at the same time, Benio should win this fight. I just don't know if he's going to score a lot of points in the process. So, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't stack it. I don't think as a whole the fight will score too much. Uh, but picking a side on this fight I think will be good. I mean, you got, I think, a, a somewhat safe pick with Benio if you want to use that or if you want to get that under 10% owned guy in Hernandez and really hope for that early finish that could totally change the way a GPP goes. So it's a tricky one, but, uh, I mean, I'm sold enough to at least have Hernandez in, in one of my lineups. Uh, I just don't exactly know how much exposure to both guys I want. I haven't made too many lineups yet, so I don't know. Now, when you say, when Big Marley says that he's sold enough to have Hernandez on one lineup, does one lineup really mean five or ten? I mean, it could. <laughs> it just means at least one. Uh, if I'm making 20 lineups, He's probably going to make more than one, but I don't think he would get up to five to ten, maybe five max. But I think that's a little bit much for a plus, what is he, two, plus 315 underdog on the betting line. Uh, that's just too much exposure to, to an underdog. So closer to one than ten, that's for sure. Now, as you know, I liked Pedro Munoz against John Dodson when they were initially supposed to fight in Brazil. Now they're supposed to fight in the States, and look, I know – I know it's not Brazil, but look, Pedro Munoz lives in, in the States, so I don't think it's going to be you know an acclimation issue or anything like that. I actually like him on my lineup. He's only 7,600. I think he comes through here, and he'll uh, far uh, far exceed that salary cap. Do you have an opinion? Yeah, I think I bet him on the when they were supposed to fight last time when it was in Brazil. Uh, but now that it's not in Brazil, I just think uh, something about the Brazil fans, I don't know, adds to it. But now that they're not there, I don't know if I want to have a bet on this or not. I might end up pulling the trigger uh, if the line keeps getting better, but uh, as of now, nothing. So I think I would rather get my exposure in DraftKings because you got to have those underdogs. So Munoz will be one I'm using for sure. Uh, I don't know if he'll be my favorite one, but he'll make some lineups. And then on the other side uh, with Dodson, he's probably going to have to get the knockout uh, to pay it off, but Munoz is, is hittable, so maybe he gets off enough strikes where he can pay off his 8600 as well in the decision. I think uh, I favor Munoz on DraftKings at the lower price. So this fight between Lombard and Dalloway, it's interesting because you know both guys uh, have had great careers. They're kind of at the tail end. But that being said, if you pick this fight right, you will score points. The reason why is Lombard, if he wins, is going to be a first-round KO. Dalloway, if he wins, is going to be a lot of takedowns. You going to have either guy on your lineup? Yeah, this is one where I got to go both sides. Like you said, uh, if you pick it right, <laughs> you're probably going to score high. So. 
I'm going to pick it right in some lineups, but I'm going to pick it wrong in some others. And I'm just going to hope the ones that are right, I have the combinations to where I can win a GPP. So this is the one where you want to go both sides. Uh, and if I'm wrong, if it's a boring decision, I'm probably going to lose <laughs> lose money again because I'll be heavily invested in this one, I think. Uh, it's a good one where one of these guys should go down maybe even in the first round. So I want both guys. My pick goes Lombard. So Cody Stamen versus Caraway, I think it's a hell of a fight. Now I hear my boy Cody Stamen has been uh, putting up some high numbers with all those takedowns he scores. Is that true? Yeah, the guy averages 112 in his two fights. He had 135 against Ware, and that was the big one. And then 89 against uh, DeKesney. Uh, so, I mean, it's impressive, and now he's priced at 8500 uh, If he keeps up what he's doing, he's going to pay that off. I am picking him as the winner. Uh, I'm not sure how much uh, Caraway I want. I-, I think he might be a fade for me uh and just find dogs elsewhere so my pick in this one would be salmon i just don't know how much exposure i want uh but i will have some so two big favorites before we go zach otto and mackenzie Dern. now as you know because i told you uh in advance i'm actually picking otto to win this fight no surprise to many but the thing is you know people think he's some point fighter and normally he is you know when he's fighting serginho marais but i think here against pile who's about to turn 43 who gets viciously knocked out in uh, you know, many of his last appearances. I think it's going to happen again. I think Zach Otto is going to have the biggest uh, score of his DraftKings career. You know what I mean? So I think he's going to make my lineup, but also with Dern, she has a ve- very favorable matchup in Yoder. Yoder will flop to her back. You know, you flop to your back against someone like Dern, you're going to get tapped out, uh, especially in the very archaic uh, female MMA. So you picking any of those big favorites? Yeah, I, I like both of them. Um, I would prefer Dern just because I do think she's safer and has a higher ceiling. I do think Otto needs to get the KO in order to score high. Uh, the most he's ever scored is 67 points, so uh, I, don't, I don't love that. But he's fighting pile here, so he could get a, a first-round knockout, maybe even a couple drops and score a lot of points. I just don't think it's very likely. So if I had to choose one of the two, I'm going with Dern. Uh, just because I think she is safer the, the uh, in a win, she's likely to get it on the ground and pull off the sub. So I think those points will add up, and I'll take her with a safer play. But I'll take some shots on Otto as well. Well, Kyle, you're the man. That's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Always killing it. I know you're going to get back on track this week like you always do because when a champion faces defeat, he puts his head down, grinds, and becomes a, a three-time world champion like my boy Conor McGregor. So, Kyle, uh, the fans can follow you at Big Marley 3. Any message for them before we talk? Uh, in about two weeks, actually, because there's, no, uh, there's no UFC next week. Now let's, uh, let's end this, this uh, streak of fights with a win and uh, enjoy the week off before we get back at it again. I got head-to-head posted. Come see me. Absolutely. That's the plan, my man, and uh, make sure you challenge the king. But if you come at the king, you best not miss. And once again, Kyle Marley, you know, it's funny. He said he had a losing week last week. A losing week for him is still uh, like a 10% ROI. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? I mean, yeah, and everyone has losing weeks, but that's what that's what separates us from the the rest of everyone else, man. Because we already know Kyle Marley's about to bounce back in a big way. Yes, he will. And uh, for us, we're about to get on a three event win streak starting this weekend. But before we do that, man, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC two twenty two? Um, my fight to watch is going to be um. 
it's going to be Andre Sukumtaj for Sean O'Malley, man. I think it has the potential to be a, a great fight. And, you know, if O'Malley wins this fight, and, and let, you know, let's say he doesn't get a decision. Let's say he gets a finish. I mean, this kid's going to blow up, man. <laughs> if he if it's a flashy finish, just be don't don't uh, be surprised when he's getting 60 and 60 for his next fight. You know what I'm saying? Because this kid's a star in the making, man. And, uh, he's got all the qualities. He's you know, he loves this type of these type of moments, and uh, I think that's the fight to watch because, you know, if Andre wins, then, hey, he, he started off bad, and then now he just uh, pulled off two big upsets. So this is the fight to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Sukum Tut versus O'Malley is one of the fights to watch, but for me, it's a no-brainer, and it's the people's main event. Frankie Edgar versus Brian T. City Ortega. It's not often that you get the number one versus the number two guy on planet Earth against each other in the UFC's octagon. You know, this is going to be a super high-level fight, and the winner is going to come out of here undoubtedly the number one contender in the UFC featherweight division. He's going to have to challenge the great Max Holloway, who uh, isn't Max on about a 12-fight win streak, Shaq? You know what I'm saying? These guys are breaking records. This is Probably one of the best divisions in the UFC, right behind the UFC lightweight division, which has always been the Shark Tank in the UFC. But now, 145 pounds is right behind it. It's really emerging as the top division. So, Brian T. City Ortega versus Frankie the Answer Edgar is 100% my fight to watch. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 222? My fighter to watch is actually on the fight past prelims. It's Kobe Stamen. I mean, he's got an opportunity to do something that not so many people have done, being inside the top 10 within three fights and you know before his UFC debut you know I kind of I kind of um, you know went out there and you know made that st- statement as well I felt like this was a future top 15 guy on our hands and uh he's got his opportunity to go it's the perfect timing it's perfect scenario and I think he's going to get uh the job done but he is the fighter to watch because three fights in the UFC and already in the top 10 that's a big statement and my fighter to watch is Benil Dariush. Look, I know he's a minus 380 favorite, but put that on the back burner for a second. This fight against this newcomer, Alex Hernandez, is going to be an absolute barn burner. I have a feeling it could be fight of the night. It could be performance of the night. It could be knockout of the night. Look, the bottom line is these two are going to stand up and bang until one guy falls. And when that one guy falls, the winner is going to get up on the cage, put his hands up in the air, and the whole place is going to absolutely erupt because this fight is going to be chaos. This fight is going to be violence. It's going to be an absolute spectacle. Benil Dariush is my fighter to watch because he always comes through with the violence. Alex Hernandez, Alexander Hernandez is no slouch, man. And uh, definitely, I, I agree. Somebody's going to be unconscious and uh, taking a canvas now. Don't be surprised if the stretcher has to come to the octagon. Yeah, and speaking of stretchers, uh, man, my boy, my boy Jeremy Stevens been handing out canvas snaps for like the last ten years. Holy shit, was that brutal? But listen, guys. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much for checking out this very special edition of Half the Battle. Make sure you follow Shaq at MMA Genius 5 Make sure you follow me at Best Fight Picks. Check out our Instagram page, Best Fight Picks Official. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes. If you hook up that five-star review, you take a screenshot of the review. You can't just click that five-star button. You have to write us a couple words about how you like this podcast. Send us a screenshot. We'll give you one of our max bets from this weekend absolutely free. But if you're trying to sign up long-term, you know exactly what you got to do. BestFivePicks.com, MaxBetSeason.com. Now is the time. We're heating up. Three-event winning streak starts this weekend. And, uh... Shaq, uh, it's going down, man. I, I have a feeling this is going to be one of our biggest nights ever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree 100%. And uh, like I said, guys, hop on board these packages. We're heating up. The rough part is already over. And um, it's going to be another 
another winning event. And like I said, I'm looking out for everyone's best interest. I want everyone to get the best lines. And uh, that's what these other services don't do. Don't believe these fake 11-unit bets. That's not real money. They're not betting real money. We're betting real money, our real money that we worked for. You know what I'm saying? That's not real money. They're betting, you know, just making equations look good. Uh, ROI is an equation that can be manipulated. You know what I'm saying? So, guys, hop on board. This is the real thing. This is the this is as real as it gets, like the UFC's uh, logo or motto is. Yeah, and uh, that being said, our ROI is pretty fucking good too. Way better than the stock market. I'll tell you that right now. And also, speaking of fakes and frauds, if anyone that's not Daniel Levy or Shaq is trying to sell you packages, let us know immediately because they're a complete fraud. Fuck them all. And, you know, all these motherfuckers that are obsessed with us, thank you very much for keeping our name in the headlines. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, you guys are fanboys. We'll send you an autographed picture sometime, uh, an internet hug, as my boy Shaq likes to say. And until the next time, exactly. let's cash these bets. <laughs>